eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. This is On The Beat, not live. You'll get it on YouTube when we submit it and also on iTunes. Rate, review, subscribe, and sport Johnny T-shirt while you're at it. With on to beat comes Greg Barnes, Isaiah Lucas, and Taylor Vipolis joins us tonight. Boys, we tried to go live, and after 31 minutes plus of technical issues, um, we gave up. Michelle Hillison, props to her. She is uh, trying to figure out the issue. Gregory Hall takes a night off, and the, dog, and the dogs come and just steal the show and take it straight to the can. Uh, Greg Barnes, let's talk basketball first. Carolina got back on the the good graces of the fan base and of Hubert Davis with a, a big win against Michigan, followed that up with a good win against the Georgia Tech team, a week off during exams before they play again this weekend. Is this team who we expected them to be at this point, or is this team um, still an enigma in your mind? Uh, that's a good question, Tommy. Uh, I don't know that we know exactly who this team is at this point in time. What we do know is that Hubert Davis was not happy with how the team was performing defensively through uh, really what happened in Connecticut, you know, even the first couple games before that. And he really got after him in practice the, the week of Thanksgiving. And what happened? Well, they looked tremendously better against Michigan uh, and then carried that over into Atlanta. And that's, that's important because that, that's, suggests that, that he can get to them and that they understand what he wants. Um, there are some defensive changes schematically, which I think is important. Um, I know a lot of people have been asking about, you know, why isn't Hubert showing a lot of different defenses after he told us that, that he would. Um, as we talked about, I guess it was last week or so, uh, you've got to get your base down first. You have to decide what your base is to begin with, and then you have to get it down. Uh, and so with, with Hubert making some tweaks uh, the week before the, the Michigan game, that kind of indicates that they're still trying to figure out you know, how, how best to utilize the players and the talent they have on this team and make that work defensively. Whatever changes they made uh, are working to this point. We'll have to see exactly how that carries over. But once that kind of firms up and holds, then you can start saying, okay, well, now we understand who we are from a baseline level, 
And if we want to add to it in terms of adding zones or, or more traps or presses or whatever, you can do that. Um, but it's, as we've talked about Tommy a lot, this is going to be a step-by-step -step process. And so uh, props to Hubert for making some initial corrections uh, that have worked. Now North Carolina needs to continue that and they need to take advantage of these, these upcoming games uh, before they dive straight into ACC play. All right, Michelle says that she can uh, make it work and get us on live. So if you're listening to this um, tomorrow, you missed the live show if this actually works. So we're going to let Michelle try to work her magic while we keep right on rolling. Uh, Isaiah, Carolina looks terrible, has a break, looks great, has a break, looks great, and now they're on another break for exams. Uh, is it – are these breaks, these extended breaks, helping this team um, really come together uh, maybe like they weren't able to do in the preseason for whatever reason? Um, I think, yeah, I would say that just going off, you get more time off game experience to come into practice and really look at like what went wrong. You get more time to emphasize those things. So I think the extended breaks between games just gives you more time to just make more corrections and really get down what you want to like do. Because at the start of the season, it was still kind of trial and error, trying to find a foundation, like Greg said. So. so, so Taylor, let me ask you this as an athlete and as a coach, coaching some basketball, do guys have to like each other to be able to play well and um, have chemistry? Do you need to have chemistry off the court to have it on the court? Yeah, 1,000%, one, 1, I think. It's, it's tough going into a game if you don't have – um, a trust or you don't want to see the person next to you succeed and play well. And in the up in the rafters podcast with Justin Jackson, when I was talking with him, I was, I was saying to him, like, you know, you guys had guys who were, could easily go for 20 plus points every night, the Joel Berry's uh, Marcus page, Bryce Johnson, Justin, um, even a guy like Kennedy or Isaiah. And when I asked Justin, how did they kind of blend so well together? He was like, you know, we loved each other off the court. It made playing way easier where we enjoyed seeing each other have success. And that's something that this Carolina team, I'm not saying that, that, that they hate each other or they can't stand the sight of each other, but they're having to learn how to play team basketball right now. And this, the other point we kind of made in that podcast or I made in that podcast to Justin was like, this isn't a video game where you could just, plug uh, two high-rated transfers and plug them into your lineup and you don't have to worry about chemistry or anything when you're on that video game. Your, your team is a certain overall. They're going to play a certain way every time. Um, but in, in the real world, you do have to worry about chemistry and there is that kind of adjustment period um, to where it isn't a seamless transition, kind of like Greg was talking about and how this is going to be a process. And I think the biggest, the most encouraging thing from North Carolina's perspective is uh, after the, the Michigan game, Huber Davis was like, we need a win at Georgia Tech to validate that Michigan win. And that is a, a huge point in, in coaching and in, in playing that any, any, it's, it's easy to get a fluke win here and there. Um, you see it all the time. A, a team like James Madison can beat Virginia, even though looking at Virginia, I'm not too sure how how fluky that is at this point. But it's easy to have fluky performances with how long seasons are. 
for North Carolina to go into Georgia Tech, a place where they've struggled for a, a in recent history, even the 2017 team that won the national championship uh, got ran out of the building in Georgia Tech. For them to kind of come out, uh, they came out pretty good against Georgia Tech, had a huge lull where Georgia Tech goes on a 17-2 run. You go into halftime tied. Everybody's a little anxious, and then they, they come out in the second half, and it's a dominating performance. They win by 17. That, to me, shows that this Carolina team is making strides, and they are progressing the way that Hubert Davis thinks they're going to progress. And I think the other the other overarching point with this basketball team and trying to figure out where they're going to be by the end of the year, when you're looking at the ACC I know Hubert Davis said that this is the best conference in college basketball, but right now it, it is not the best conference in college basketball. Um, and you're looking at the ACC, like who can contend with the Carolina when they're playing at their best, when they're playing like they did in the second half against Georgia tech, or they're playing like they did against Michigan. And right now it really feels like it's Duke or Carolina with how both teams are playing when they're at their best. And everybody's kind of at this equal playing field. Um, so I, I think that the more you watch this Carolina team, they are trending towards a team that I think a lot of people are expecting them to be towards the end of the season. Greg Barnes, what was Dean Smith's famous quote? Um, and I don't know if he said it originally, but I always thought he did about chemistry and about teammates and about enjoying each other. It's amazing what you can accomplish when nobody cares who gets the credit. Right. And I, I was going to go with, uh, uh, you know, when, when you're on the court and the season's going on, you're playing for the, the team on the front of the, the name on the front of the Jersey, not the name on the back of the Jersey. Yeah. Same, and, Hubert, same and, Hubert, and Hubert said, and Mac has said it on the football side is enjoying others success. And I didn't see that in the first five games for Carolina basketball. I've seen it. Games, in the yeah. Last, yeah, I've seen it the last two for sure. Yeah, and that's that's a big part of it. And uh, you, Roy Williams always said things look better when the ball goes in the basket. Well, the ball's been going in the basket for this team, but things certainly uh, look better and, and seem better when you're winning. And to be able to get a, a good win against a, you know, a good team in Michigan, I think this does tremendous wonders for, for confidence and for chemistry and all those things. So. Uh, yeah, they've got a couple games coming up that they should win handily. Uh, Elon is, is not, not good. Elon is not a good basketball team. Uh, currently two and seven, they do not have a win against a division one program quite yet. Uh, so that should be pretty, pretty easy to take care of on, on, uh, Saturday night. And then of course they've got Furman after that. Furman's not bad. That'll be a little bit of a test. And then of course you've got UCLA. So, uh, being able to, to potentially stack five wins in a row before you go to Vegas, I, I think is big for this team. And then that gives them another opportunity. You know, as Taylor said, you've got to be able to validate each win. And so if you can put five wins together with a couple really good wins in there, being at Georgia Tech and against Michigan, now you're starting to kind of feel what it's like to, to be a top 25 team. Um, and UCLA, you, they've had a little bit of struggles early on. But that's still a, a team that's expected to contend for a Final Four. And so, you know, they played pretty good against Purdue. Uh, this will be another op another opportunity to really kind of prove themselves against one of the best teams. And that's what you want every so often. You want to be able to play against the best 
unfortunately, I agree with Taylor. ACC just not looking good at this point in time. So North Carolina is going to have to take care of business. There, there's there's more um, trouble games, if, if that's how you want to phrase it or how I want to phrase it, in terms of it can do more damage than good in the ACC because there are some bad teams. Um, so you've got to make sure you capitalize, and especially when at home, but win enough games on the road and then maybe still one against Duke, uh, still two against Duke, and you're probably sitting pretty. Yeah, yeah the, other, the, the other thing I wanted to mention about the basketball team, too, that I've kind of noticed from, from the Michigan game on, and it kind of ties into the point of enjoying who you're playing with and playing more freely within the offense, it's like the total assist number in the Michigan in the Michigan game was only 13 and the Georgia tech game, it was 21, but the ball doesn't look like it's getting stuck in one person's hand. And it doesn't look like a player is going out there and hunting for their shot. I think they had a problem with that in the early part of the season where, you know, somebody like RJ Davis goes down and hit in his mind. He's like, all right, this possession, I'm getting my shot. Then the next possession, they're trying to run in, run some offense, and it goes to somebody like Dawson Garcia. And in his mind, he's like, you know what? I haven't got the ball in three possessions. It's my turn to go. And when when you can start playing more freely within the offense, it's it's a lot easier um, to let the offense flow and let the game come more natural to you. And I think the other point that Justin kind of hit on was when you do lock in defensively it makes your offense so much easier when you're forcing bad shots than you're, you're getting out and running in transition. Um, so those were the two biggest things that I've kind of noticed from the Michigan game and the Georgia tech game where the ball is not getting stuck offensively. And a lot of Carolina's offensive success is coming off defensive success. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can, it, you know, some nights the ball doesn't go in the basket, but the defense has always got to be there every night. And, and, Carolina, I think they've gotten it. I'm not ready to say that it's for sure, um, and I'm not sure that Elon and Furman will show that. I think you see it. The effort against UCLA, whether they win or lose on the defensive end, will tell me a lot. And that brings me to another point I was thinking about, and Isaiah, I want to get you in here, is this rotation is as short as it's ever been, even in in-season Roy Williams, Dean Smith, type situations i mean there's i don't have the numbers in front of me here because my screen is full of technologically uh challenging stuff that we were not able to figure out but isaiah is the short bench for hubert is that a concern for a couple of reasons one um you're not getting guys um experience in the early season two you're wearing out your top seven um, as we've seen Duke likes to do, and then they fall apart in late in the year. I think it's a situational thing. I think with the previous two games, going to find something, if it works, you kind of stick with it to kind of secure those wins. I think in these next two games with Elon and Furman coming up, I think it'll expand. It'll give guys a little more minutes depending on how the games go. But I think you really want it to lock in and try to find an identity for the team. And if that happens to come from seven players, then like so be it. Greg, something that comes out of that is a guy like Kerwin Walton's not getting any run, and the little run that he's getting, he's not having a ton of success. So how does Hubert Davis get a guy like that um, in it and going? 
Roy, and it was funny, I listened to Joey and Sherelle and Sean and their Coast to Coast podcast, and it was so on point, is Roy Williams was going to sub at the 10-minute, 26-second mark. He was subbing out somebody, and they were coming in, usually no matter what, at least early in the season. Hubert's, like Isaiah said, Hubert's going with what works, and if somebody's rolling, keep getting it, and it's been seven deep so far. But Kerwin needs to provide for this team. How does Hubert help him do that? Well, let's let me ask a question, Tommy. Does Kerwin need to provide for this team? Uh, where I'm going with that is, I think of similar conversations taking place with Kerwin Walton, just like it is with Leaky Black. And last year, for example, the team really struggled to score, and so fans were upset that Leaky Black was on the court because. He's not a scorer. That's not what he does. Kerwin had to be out there because he's about the only guy that could shoot. Well, look what's happened this year. North Carolina can score like crazy. I mean, they're, they're one of the best three-point shooting teams in the country, and that's really without Kerwin doing a whole lot. So you don't necessarily need a player like Kerwin out there right now when the primary thing that he can do is provide offense. What you need, because this team struggles defensively, is somebody like Leaky Black, who is a great defender. Uh, and I think that's really where we're at. And Hubert has talked about, you know, Kerwin's got to get better defensively. But even offensively, um, you know, Kerwin benefited from being a, fr- a freshman last year, and not a lot of people know about him. Well, everybody knows about him now. And so he's, he's got to get more aggressive. He's got to do a better job of getting open. He's got to do a better job of getting to the rim. He can't just sit behind the line and wait for the ball to come to him. And I think he's he's working through that right now. And you know, this is one of those things that we're just going to have to get used to because, yeah, you're right. Roy Williams would drive people crazy with the number of people he played. He was just throwing guys out there, and you didn't get the, the chemistry throughout the lineups, all those kinds of things, and they would lose some games they probably shouldn't have early in the year. But guess what? Everybody – would complain about it early, but typically by February, the team was rolling along. And it just worked for Hu- for uh, Roy. Hubert clearly has a different approach. And it, we won't know if this is effective until we get past this year and probably a couple years down the road. Uh, but what happened in the second half in Atlanta uh, is amazing. I mean, Armando Baycott, Caleb Love, played all 20 minutes in the second half of that game and North Carolina won by what 17 mm-hmm. RJ Davis played 18 minutes in the second half Brady Manick played 16 minutes in the second half and Leakey played 15 minutes Anthony Harris played seven Dawson Garcia played four that's it he played and four in the second half I didn't even think he played that I thought he it was started zero. the second half played four minutes I think that was pretty much it but Carolina won that game by 17 and had blown it open midway through the second half. And yet, Hubert stuck with his guys. Um, and it really gets into that conversation of, is he, is he trying to force the issue in terms of, we got to get these guys playing together a lot, even if we're up by 15 points, because we're going to need that as we get into ACC play. Or is there something else to it? Um, and we're just, it's, it's fascinating to watch because it is completely different than what Roy Williams did. Uh, but it's worked thus far. It's pretty similar to what eight miles up the road does. Yeah, for sure. Done. And 
Carolina fans have always been quick to point out that those guys are gassed in February and March. Um, yep. So we'll see. And I say Kerwin needs to provide. I, I agree. Just watching him, he looks like the pretty similar player as it was last year. And like you said, he's gone from not on the scouting report to up near the top of the scouting report or was at least to start the season. Yeah, and the, the thing, too, about guys getting gassed, uh, that'll be interesting to watch as it plays out because Hubert was asked about fatigue following the Tennessee game when Carolina came out lethargic, didn't look good. And he, he was pretty strong in his response, saying that, look, these guys are 18, 19, 20 years old. Uh, they have no excuse whatsoever for fatigue. They have so many breaks. They're only playing, you know, 30-some minutes a game. No excuse whatsoever for fatigue. And so, as you mentioned, that's, that's, we've kind of circled some of the issues with Duke in the postseason in recent years because those guys have just logged so many minutes. Uh, that, that'll be something we'll have to watch here in Chapel Hill. Nice. Uh, Taylor, what do you think about fatigue? You're, you're still a young guy. Isaiah, you're still a young guy. You think you get tired playing 36 minutes for 30 games, 35 games at some point? Because it's not just about getting tired. It's about getting banged up and, and tweaking the an ankle and all that kind of stuff. And, and that's why when you've got 10 or 12 guys that can play, that's why Roy always made sure he saw who could play early and who could help because he knew he might need some of those in his back pocket down the road. What do you think about the fatigue issue, Taylor? Yeah, I think it's less about the fatigue and more about what you had mentioned, where it's just kind of taking a toll on your body injury wise. But I'm I'm kind of on uh, Coach Davis's side where it's like these guys are 18, 19. They don't need a, a ton of time for for recovery. And when you're at a school like North Carolina that dedicates as much resources to the um, the athletic training department as Carolina does, like the resources are there with the cold tubs and all the recovery methods, as long as guys are healthy and, you know, they're, they are eight, 18, 19, 20 years old. Some of them, uh, the grad transfer is probably a, a bit older. Um, but I think, I think it is, it is an interesting argument. And I think one of the biggest reasons why you're seeing a, such a contrasting of styles between, how Roy Williams did it and Hubert Davis did it. It's, it's a lot easier to kind of run the show the way you want to do it when you have 800, 700 wins in college basketball compared to a first year head coach who every time it seems like he's getting in a press conference, he's saying uh, sense of emergency. I always think he means to say sense of urgency, but he's saying sense of emergency. And I think he understands how much pressure there is at a school like Carolina with a first year head coach to show that you are trending in the right direction and you are building positively and you are starting off strong. So I think that's another reason why you've seen such a short rotation where he trusts the top seven, eight guys, where if a guy like Kerwin Walton is showing that he's a liability on defense and Carolina's not struggling to score the ball, this, the way this roster is built up, they're, almost never going to be a roster that struggles to score the ball. You're, you're a lot more um, willing to sit guys who are liabilities on certain on areas where you do struggle. And I think that's why you've seen somebody like Anthony Harris, who he's, he's never going to be a 20 point uh, per game score, but he can defend. Uh, 
and he can bring a lot of energy on that side of the ball. So I think that's why you're kind of seeing as the season goes on his minutes trending upwards and then somebody like Kerwin Walton's minutes trending downwards from kind of where where the Carolina fan might have thought this season was going to go at the beginning of the year. Isaiah, a question from the board. Uh, it's on the same topic we're talking about. Um, does it splinter the locker room if guys don't get minutes? Does it lead to transfers? I mean, it's way too late to say. Is the impact recruiting? That's way too um, too early to talk about. Um, the point in the thing is maybe winning cures all. Well, I certainly think it does. Um, how does it impact the locker room in, in your mind? I think as long as you're winning, guys are going to be happy. I also know that experienced coaches, like Mac Brown says, the best guys are going to play, period. Well, Hubert's still a first-year coach, a first-month coach, two-month coach. What do you think it's doing um, the short the short bench, I guess? What do you, how do you think that's affecting the team as a whole? Or is yeah, I think it- as, a, as a team, as long as the team is winning, I think team morale will be fine. It really will come down to more so individual players that feel like they aren't playing the minutes they're supposed to. I think that's something like individually that – if they start to see an issue with it, like down the line, I think early on, usually when you're on a team like this in a new situation like this, you don't really worry about it unless if the team was losing, there would be more of an issue. But I think as long as they're winning, I don't think that would be an issue, at least like not this early on in the season. Things are still trying to be figured out. Nothing, as Hubert said, is really set in stone. It can change game by game. Yeah, and the other part of this too is, you touched on this a little bit with Roy. Um, but what he was trying to do is he believed that you could get an idea of what kids could do in practice. But when you put them on the court against another team and there's a crowd in play and then they're on TV and everybody's watching, uh, that takes some time to get used to. And so in November and December, and even some in January, he wanted to put guys out there and let them experience college basketball and, and kind of push them and let them see how they responded. And, you know, Maybe, maybe a player proved to him that, okay, he's not quite ready to help us in, in crunch time, um, but he's got some experience. He knows what it's like now uh, in the offseason. He can take that step forward. And I've, I think people n- know that about Roy. They understand that, understood that, that part of it. Hubert's not doing that. Uh, Hubert appears to be very much a, hey, if, if you can't prove it in practice, you're not going to see the court. And there are plenty of coaches like that. That's, that's a different style than Roy, uh, but that's, that seems to be kind of where the, uh, the difference is. And that, that brings up a lot of interesting things because he, he's continued to say that DeMarco Dunn and Dontrez Styles are going to be two of the best players you know, they ever played at Carolina, and they're going to be NBA players and have long careers, but yet they're clearly not good enough right now to even see – spot minutes consistently. Um, and we've had the conversation before, maybe by the end of the year, they will prove themselves enough in, in practice to earn playing time. Uh, but again, that's just completely different than what we're accustomed to. So uh, we're, we're all kind of learning <laughs> throughout this process. Yeah. The other thing with the styles and done and why I don't think it's a negative for Carolina uh whether it's on this team now or um, on like the recruiting trail for like people to use it against them. Like 
they were the 66 and the 68th overall players in in the class and I don't think that's that crazy where you're eight games into a season and these guys can't crack into a rotation where you do return uh, McDonald's All-Americans and you do return uh, high-level transfers in Dawson Garcia and uh, Brady Manick and you return somebody like Anthony Harris who's kind of already been around a college team and, and more familiar with the the underworkings of of a college basketball program so I I don't think of Styles and Dunn no matter like what Hubert Davis really says in his press conference about their potential down the road like when when I saw them coming in I never thought of them as somebody as like immediate impact players and I I think it's it's different than like maybe they should should be guys that are playing five six minutes a game just to kind of see what they can do in minutes but it goes back to the point where I, I'm it's not like Carolina recruited um, Paolo Bonchero or Trevor Keels and their top 20 players and they're sitting on the bench and everybody's like, what's going on? Why aren't these why aren't these high level guys playing um, when you're talking about like how coaches can kind of use it against them? I think they are more of more of projects and more like three, four year guys than somebody like who who like Coach K or Duke brings in where it's like these are our freshmen. They're going to be playing 30 plus minutes a night. Yeah, that, that's certainly a valid point. And that's what, that's why the short rotation doesn't really, it's different like Greg talked about. And for somebody that's followed Carolina basketball forever, it is very different. It's more NBA type style. Um, it's more Duke type style to be, be honest. But uh, I think you build the chemistry and then you work guys in rather than, throwing everybody out there and then sort it all out. I, yeah. I think, I think that's the way to do it. Yeah. And I don't think the, the portal is as big as a, of a concern as a lot of people seem to think, um, cause it works both ways. I mean, you know, well, at least two of the, the key players in North Carolina's lineup right now are from the portal and, and Garcia and Manic. And, uh, you would assume at some point McCoy will probably work into it. So if you can bring in guys, you can afford to lose guys. And so if guys aren't happy, uh, Hubert's been pretty upfront with that. You know, if, you're, if you're not happy, you don't want to be here. Uh, you don't have to be here. And the portal makes that very easy, but also makes it easy to replace you. So I, I understand the, the concern uh, with losing guys, but uh, Hubert proved pretty quickly that you can replace them uh, rather easily. Yeah. And that's, what's crazy. And we talk about the portal all day, but, so many people go in it's like they go in and you never see them again it's like where'd they go and uh what did max say greg earlier this week 800 since november 1st on the football yeah. side of it that is insane it's nuts. nuts um but folks think the grass is greener sometimes it's just grass and you go out the pasture never to be seen again but let's uh, wrap up this basketball discussion um and somebody asked on the board Taz, my man's always on there, um, always on the YouTube live stuff too. So hate missing him tonight live, but I'll ask the question for all of us. And I'll start with you, Isaiah. Realistic expectations now, this far in the season. You know, I, the expectations preseason versus the expectations before the Michigan game versus the expectations now is probably one of the bigger roller coasters in Carolina basketball. What do you think, Isaiah? Um, 
I feel like, yeah, it's, it's been interesting. I think the way the team, the team showed that second half of games, they can come out and they can fix whatever went wrong in the first half and they can really play with anybody. That's what it seems like. So I think as you just go down the schedule, you like UCLA will be an, a bigger test than what's coming up than App State before conference play. But I don't think that they'll honestly face anything too challenging that they can't correct. I think that they've shown that they can correct any issue that they have so far. And I think as long as Hubert could go into halftime and they can come back and bounce back from whatever, I think they'll be fine. Taylor, is it realistic to believe that this team is much different than it was before the Michigan game? Or the Mich- is the Michigan game and the Georgia Tech games, are they needle movers for the expectations for this team in your mind? Or were, were the preseason expectations probably on point and they just started slow? I think this is this is a team that's going to have their ups and downs during the year where I wouldn't look at one or two games as um, as trying to like tell a story about how this team is going to play. I think it kind of goes back to that point where if, like Greg was mentioning, if this team could start stacking together wins and validating win after win after win, that's when expectations change or if the team you know if they keep losing in the same kind of fashion that can kind of change expectations but I think from where this team was before the season and where the team is now um, the expectations for me at least have been that I think this is a, a top 15 roster in college basketball they have the talent to compete in a down year in the ACC I think it's going to come down to Duke Carolina whoever's kind of playing the best basketball at the end. There's a lot of challenges for Carolina with a, a first-year head coach and kind of the ups and downs that kind of come with that. But from a, a strictly talent perspective, this is a team that has shown they can go toe-to-toe with anybody in the country. And I think a game like Michigan and then coming out and having a strong second half against Georgia Tech kind of validates that. And uh, it, I'm, I'm interested to see how this team kind of builds off those games. Greg, last question before we take a break and talk some football after the break. Um, Elon and Furman, what's the goal here for this team? <laughs> well, uh, in previous years, I would I would say it's to get the the younger guys or the the bench guys a lot of minutes, right? Uh, I don't know if that's going to be the case. So it, I, I really think you know when you play Michigan and then you play on the road at Georgia Tech to open the ACC season. The, the energy's there, right? They're going into this Elon game knowing that they should win by 30. So how does that affect things? You know, one of the things we've talked a lot about on the football side of things is that the team really plays up and down in competition. You cannot be a legitimate Final Four contender if you do that consistently. Yes, you're going to have games like that where it happens. Uh, but I think these are the opportunities for North Carolina to come into a game where they know they're supposed to win in dominant fashion. Uh, I mean, same situation, Loyola, and then UNC Asheville, where they came out and they looked great the first 10 minutes, and then they went on cruise control. Uh, don't do that. You know, throw the knockout punch early and just, just pile it on and win by 40. And I think that's kind of what you want to do. The team we know is very good offensively. That's not going to change. 
but maintaining that defensive intensity, that's what Hubert wants. Because if you have a little bit of a drop-off against Elon or Furman, as I said, Furman, who was a Furman beat earlier this year? Um, they beat Louisville, yeah. So wow. uh, I think at Louisville. So they've you know, not a great team, but a good enough team where they can they can scare you a little bit. So just just making sure you're you're doing everything, you're playing to your standard, not to the opponent level, and that's what this team needs to really focus on. Because yes, they've had two good games in a row, but two good games don't make up for what we saw through the first six games. Let's put six games together now, and then we can say, okay, well, after six slow games to begin with, they put six really good games together. Now we can talk about everything kind of changing in the right direction. Yeah, you mentioned playing to the standard, and I think that's the biggest deal for me watching, um, whether it's Carolina football, Carolina basketball, is you play to your standard, like you said, and not to the opponent's standard. And I think this team still got to figure that out because uh, in the early season, they played – they didn't play to any standard. Um, and But against Michigan, they look really good. I'm not sure how good Michigan is, but it's still Michigan. It's still a Big Ten team. And then I thought – I think Georgia Tech can be pretty good, um, and they played well there. I agree. I'm not sure how many minutes everybody's going to get, but they need to blow Elon and Furman out. And it doesn't need to be 120 to 85. It needs to be like 90-something to 50 where they've shown that they can play defense. But it would be interesting. Somebody asked for us to preview UCLA. We can do that next week um because ucla is week after next and uh or on what the 18th greg something like that yep so we we've got time to talk about that and i think elon and Furman can show some growth in this team um that maybe we haven't seen even with the two wins they've stacked together take a short break talk about johnny t-shirt johnny t-shirt.com of course great sponsors of inside carolina Great friends of you as an Inside Carolina Premium subscriber. They give you 10% off your everyday order. I'm pretty sure you probably still can slide some Christmas gifts in there, even though we're getting close. Um, but if you can't order it online, you can go see them on Franklin Street. I was in there the other day. I had a $25 limit on an office Christmas party. Nailed it. Nailed it. Under $25 from Johnny T-Shirt with the discounts they had going on and with that Inside Carolina discount. So make sure you support them locally owned and operated great friends of everybody in Chapel Hill, including us at Inside Carolina. Let the national guys pay the bills on the audio version. This is On the Beat with Taylor, Greg, and Isaiah. I'm Tommy. We'll be right back. Hey, guys. This is Ross Martin from Inside Carolina. I want to talk to you about Inside Carolina's new podcast sponsor. It's Blue Shark Vodka. Blue Shark Vodka is a family-owned vodka company based out of Wilmington and Wrightsville, North Carolina. It's available in all 100 counties. And the thing about Blue Shark Vodka is it's the smoothest vodka in the world. It's made with sweet North Carolina corn to create the world's smoothest vodka. It's been distilled four times and then mellowed for 28 days to create that full blooming and awaking flavor. Each batch is in triple filtered, giving it a smooth, clean finish and it eliminates any of the alcohol bite. Guys, I've been using it recently with some soda water, fruit juice, little lime juice. It's great for tailgates. It's light. It's smooth, and it's an award-winning premium vodka from North Carolina, local and family-owned, and it's available, once again, in all 100 counties. So head to your local ABC store to check out Blue Shark Vodka. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. 
But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. All right, boys, back with On The Beat, um, not live, the unlive show. Um, if you're watching on YouTube and on iTunes, listening on iTunes, um, you're getting this tomorrow, not today. And I apologize for that on the technical issues. But let's talk some football, Greg. A lot of people um, were disappointed in this season. It seems like that tide has shifted significantly, um, A, with some recruiting news and, and recruiting that's going on, but B, with a guy like Sam Howe saying that, as of now at least, and he says he's playing, in the Mayo Bowl against South Carolina, I mean, what a what a couple weeks can make as far as what I think is the fan base shift back to being positive towards this football team. Well, there's always optimism in the offseason, right? Always. Uh, whether it's fair or not, you know, Mac uh, was given the, the nickname Mr. February from back during his days at Texas. Um, and – Mac can recruit with the best of them. There's, there's no doubt about it. And so during the offseason, he's going to win the offseason. That's, that's what, he's done, what he does. He's, he's done it very well for a long, long time. Uh, and so, yeah, I don't think there's any, any doubt that the fan base will come around. And before we, we know it, fans will be talking about winning 10 games next year. And uh, the, the, the issues that took place this year will be, ah, you know, they'll have all that stuff fixed. That's, that's the fun of being a fan, right? Uh, is, is the off-season optimism. Everybody's undefeated until the first game kicks off. But when, you, when you're talking about a, a recruiting class that, that North Carolina is set to sign, uh, Mac has said is arguably the, the best in school history, and uh, I'm not going to argue with him on that. I think it's, it's very impressive what they've done. And you, Larry Fedora signed a lot of, of uh, four-star guys, especially at skill positions. And that's important. But in order to really play with the big boys, you've got to sign those kind of guys up front. And they've done that. Um, probably need more guys along the offensive line, but, but Rice is you know, quite possibly the best offensive lineman in the country. And so it's, uh, it's very impressive what they've done. And it was a little, I don't want to say surprising, uh, it was noteworthy that, that Mac Brown said earlier this week, that uh, you know, when you get better recruits in, it makes coaching easier. Yeah, it doesn't hide the coaching issues, right? Uh, but it does, it does cover up some of the issues. And uh, I think that's a, that's a good component. I mean, regardless of what you think about the coaching staff, they're going to get better as the talent gets better. And North Carolina is about to have three top 15 classes and a top 30 class this staff has signed. Uh, very few teams in the ACC has that kind of talent. Very few teams across the country 
has that kind of talent. And uh, that, that's important. You start running yourself out of excuses as a coaching staff when you keep stacking talent like they're doing. Um, I don't think the talent can get away from the game mismanagement, but that's the thing I've been harping on forever. Um, it may We're going to find it, out, Tommy. Yeah, it may can make it a lot less relevant um, than it does. Uh, but Isaiah, were you surprised Sam Howe said he's playing in the bowl game? And when I look at it, I think, a couple things with the Sam Howell decision. All right. Does Sam Howell play in the bowl game? If it, it, you know, if he were to come back next year, it's a no brainer to play in the bowl game, but if he was not to come back, is Sam Howell playing in the bowl game more important or would it be better for the team to have Chris well and may get full ball game against a legitimate opponent? Um, what do you say about all that? And, and as you know, Backup quarterback is my favorite spot, so I'm I'm kind of torn on this one. Um, I mean, yeah, if he's gonna go, I would. I don't necessarily think that he should play a lot in the bowl game. I think you do throw the backups out there and let them get as much rep as you can because you don't want a situation like you want to go into the next season being able to handle whatever expectations are placed on you. So you want them as ready as possible. You want the team as ready as possible. But also with Sam, if there is a possibility that he stays, I mean, I think that's – you kind of want to – you want to establish something, I think, in the bowl game. I think that's what you want to do. So you kind of want – not necessarily put pressure on him to, like, give you a definite yes or no, but you kind of want to plan as if – that's uh i'm sitting here thinking about it taylor you've been on teams before um do teams do players or players in limbo or do players care or do they just show up and play with whoever's out there uh, i mean south i think the south carolina bowl i think it's a big game for carolina i think seven and six is tremendously different than six and seven i think beating south carolina um, you start having some ownership of South Carolina, um, and they start being the little brother that you keep your hand on the top of their head, pushing them down. Um, so I think it's important for that reason. But do players think about or care about who's coming back, who's playing, who might play in the bowl game, who might not play? How's that work? Uh, first, I thought you were going to say, do players care about the bowl games? And I would say it depends on the team and the city you're in because I've been on some teams where I would question uh, pretty <laughs> severely how much players cared about uh, certain games. Do they certain... make cars in the city that you're talking about? Uh, a few, a few, a few here <laughs> and there. Um, ter terrible experience. Um, but I think overall – everybody views the the bowl game as a conclusion of your season not a, a look ahead to next year so if if Sam Howell does play um, I really wouldn't want to see it for just the series or he plays a quarter and then he comes out like if if he's playing I think he's gonna go in with the intention like I'm playing to to win this game for North Carolina Mac Brown has kind of talked about that the reason why he thinks Sam Howell wants to play is because he understands the importance of this game for, for the program. And it, it is beating an SEC team if they could beat South Carolina. And I know South Carolina might not have the name brand it did um, 
when when Steve Spurrier was there, but it's it's still an SEC brand that Carolina can kind of hold over the heads of when they're when they're out recruiting that we're going toe to toe and we're beating a lot of SEC teams, um, especially when when you could beat South Carolina, who is as close as as um, as they are. And I think the the other point I've seen people make when it comes to Sam Howell today, specifically with the uh, the announcement from the Duke's Mayo Bowl that the they're going to pick a, a ambassador uh, at, from the winning team, and the ambassador gets like five thousand dollars in NIL deals um, to help promote the Mayo Bowl in in future appearances or future uh, appearances for the year. That's not why Sam Howell's playing. He he, Sam Howell's not getting out of bed for five thousand dollars. Taylor Vipless is not getting out of bed for five thousand dollars. Let's be honest. You, I'm, you I'm, mean, in fact, I'm jumping through hoops. I'm jumping through hoops for five thousand dollars. <laughs> Sam Howell, nil nil era. He's not getting out of bed for five thousand dollars. Um, but I think it is it is a, a really cool experience for this Carolina team having a guy like Howell. Everybody knows. When he's in, you're gonna have a chance to you're gonna have a chance to win. We've seen it in the Notre Dame game, we've seen it in the Clemson game, where Carolina might not win those games, but the reason why they're even close in the first place is because of how talented he is. And it would be a cool storybook ending for him to go in in 2019, start his career off in Charlotte, where he's from, beat beat an SEC opponent in South Carolina. And then you fast forward three years later where he has played himself into being a – I think he's still going to be a first-round pick. I think it's going to be something where once he starts testing and he starts getting in front of people, he's going to start rising up the draft boards um, where he has played himself into being a high NFL draft pick. But he, he does want to come back and play in the bowl game and kind of have a – have a um, put a bow on his Carolina career. And I don't think it's a, it's a shot at – um, the players who opted out of the Orange Bowl last year, I think everybody, uh, I'm a, I'm a, everybody kind of look out for yourself and do what, do whatever's in your best interest when you're talking about generational type money and setting your family up for the future. So if, if Howell does want to play and he does want to play the entire game, then I'm all for it. But if he did want to sit out, I'd, I'd be all for it as well. Yeah, and Taylor, I wanted to, to ask you, since you've got experience uh, within the North Carolina football program and at the college level, uh, Tommy mentions it about you know, playing different guys. And I, I think there's a segment of the fan base, it may be very small, I'm not suggesting this is the entire fan base at all, but there, I think there's a number of fans who would be perfectly content if none of the seniors played because they're not going to be playing next year and you just played a bunch of younger guys to give them you know, playing time and get them ready for next year. And I've, I've never really – I've just kind of dismissed that throughout the years. I mean, I think it's important for seniors to be able to play and to have that, that opportunity to go to a bowl game and experience all the unique things, uh, whether you're building cars or whatever it may be. Um, but Mac Brown mentioned earlier this season – about because of how the opt-outs was affecting bowl games and because of the college football playoff, even he would kind of start looking at bowl games as an opportunity to jumpstart the next season. Not saying that he's going to you know, bench seniors or anything, but that he's going to maybe change how he looks at bowl games. From your experience, how important is it for, for the team to, to go to a bowl game, to celebrate the seniors, to have that time together, 
or am I making too big of a deal of that? And it really is just a, a next step to prepare for the next season. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's more the, the first part than the second where I, I don't know how much of an advantage it would be playing the young guys, you know, a couple of quarters. And when you do have such a break in between, um, this time and when you're when you're in fall training camp next year, I think it is it is about celebrating the success and the team that you did have now, the team that got you to the bowl game. It's not the bowl game. I think Carolina fans or the Carolina team would have wanted to go to preseason, but this is the game they played their way into. And I think your seniors want to play in this game to kind of wrap up their careers. And it it, it is a fun it is a fun trip. I know I I know I poo-poo the Detroit trip all the time but um outside of that trip when when we went to the Charlotte Bowl game um when it was the Belk Bowl against Cincinnati that was a great time it's it's really the game like I don't really want to say the game is secondary but the game is almost secondary to the the team bonding and all the experiences you have as a team where if if you go out there and we all we're all preparing like we want to win um but it's it's really about the 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 team bonding, being in the hotel. You have to also remember, like this is Christmas, and you know we're in the hotel for for Christmas, and all the coaches are with their families, and we're kind of looking around at tables at dinner. Like we're, we don't really get to go home to see our families, but we have to make the most of this. And a, a lot of my best memories from Carolina are from the bowl games when we were in Charlotte um, for the Belk Bowl against Cincinnati when we were in Orlando in the Russell Athletic Bowl against Baylor. A lot of my best memories are, are from that time with with the guys that um, I was I was lucky to build those memories with. But I, I really don't look at it as a a look ahead for next season. I don't, I don't think it's going to be something where if Drake May goes out there and he does play well or does play poorly, I don't think it's something where you can point to it next year and be like, oh, we, sh- we should have gotten more snaps in in a game nine, eight, eight, nine months ago um, to kind of be an indicator for his future success. That's that's an interesting take there. Uh, was it Dan Mullen that said last year when Florida got beat that that was uh, he was looking ahead to 2021 anyway? And uh, yeah, we see how that turned out for him. Let, let's talk and. I'm going to ask the question. Somebody said, are y'all going to throw the usual softballs around? Greg, you got to ask tougher questions in the press conferences. I'm telling you, you need to, you need to call them straight off the message boards and see how long Greg Barnes lasts. On those why calls. isn't such and such fired? Why is he so important? <laughs> hey, yes. Matt, can you tell me why you haven't fired that guy yet? I don't uh, know. <laughs> well, in, in what's the best case scenario for a coach coach's response to one of those questions? Yeah, that seems like a Ross question, right? Just to let Ross kind of lay one out there and just see exactly what Max says, uh, especially right before signing day. Yeah, this is exactly why we're not going there. But I am going to ask a question for the group, and we can sort of go around the room. But I'll start with Greg. This coaching carousel is insane. And Mac talked about it in the presser. Um, you know, he corrected himself. I didn't think the coaching transfer portal question comment was that big a deal. Um, but coaches go and come as freely as players can. And of course they're getting paid millions of dollars to do it. But Greg, is it better for a team to sit still and watch or 
is it necessary for a team to jump in that mess that is this coaching carousel and guys are all over the place, especially now, um, before December or next Monday, next Monday or Tuesday, whenever it is. Um, I think continuity is more important than um, perceived upgrades. Or, or, or am I wrong there? No, I think you're exactly right. And, and there's, there's a foundation piece in, in play as well. And what I mean by that is, if you go back to last year and even the year before, when Matt came in, he was willing to take a little bit lower salary. I think he's making three and a half million. Uh, he could demand more than that. But in doing that, he wanted to make sure that his assistants were paid well. And that's not just coaching, you know, assistant coaches, it's, it's other support staff. Uh, and so he's been able to do that. And, and Bubba has worked with the staff to make sure that's happened. And you, as of last spring, uh, the coaching staff was paid top 25 money, which is what you want. And what Mac told the staff was, hey, you're making top 25 money. You get North Carolina into top 10 status. Uh, we'll get you some, some pay raises. And so he's been very clear with expectations, making sure that what they're making is commensurate with how the team's playing, all those things. So you have that foundation in place, and you make sure you have the guys that you feel like you need to progress the program. They're making the money that you think they deserve. I mean, as Mac has said, you know, if somebody decides to leave, he feels like he's able to find somebody that will work as an upgrade. Um, you know, I mean, Brewster left and brought in John Lilly, who's got a great resume. And that's the kind of thing you want. You want to be able to, to make sure that you have guys in place that you like. And then if somebody does leave, you know, preferably be somebody taking a, a better position, a, a position coach, you're taking a coordinator job or a coordinator taking a head coaching job somewhere. Uh, that would be the ideal situation. You don't want a Gillespie going, but I mean, he went to Alabama, so you can kind of understand it. Um, but you want to make sure you're in that position structurally so that when you do get to silly season, you have an understanding of kind of what you've got. And yes, guys may jump ship. And yes, there may be changes that you have to make, but you're not in this weird situation of not knowing what's going on and uncomfortable about the staff you have. You have a pretty good understanding of where you stand. And that's really all you can hope for. Um, and I think that's kind of where Mac is right now. If he's not going to make significant coaching changes with the early signing day. You know, it used to be with signing day, it was first week of February. You could fire somebody right after the season, and you still had two months to make up, you know, any, any laps there would be on the recruiting trail with a new coach. Those days are gone. Uh, with, with signing day being on December 15th, you don't have time to do that. And so a lot of these coaching changes – if they have to take place, it will occur probably in January. Um, and that's if Mac believes there's, there's a need to make changes. He's, he's already said that he's had lengthy conversations. The guys understand what needs to take place. Um, so we'll see. But, yeah, I, I, think, I think because Mac has been in place for a couple years now, he's got it set up exactly how he wants it. Um, and that's, that, that's what you want with the chaotic nature of, of college football coaching changes right now. And I think people hollering about wanting coaching changes. I get it. I understand it. But also look how many decommits and how many um, folks are abandoning teams like Clemson or Oklahoma or whatever because they made coaching changes now and see how that affects on the recruiting trail. I think folks need to realize how all that stuff plays out. 
we talked about it earlier and I can't remember who said it, it was maybe it was Joey or somebody Mac this is Mac's legacy and he's going to do whatever he needs to do to make sure his les- legacy is complete um, when he hangs it up Taylor looking at the coaching carousel and, and and all that and the portal and all I mean you were around guys for three four years at Carolina I mean how often just in general do guys talk about leaving and in, in your mind, I'll ask you this, since I think the statute of limitations has run. How many guys that you played with at Carolina would have up and packed and left immediately or pretty quickly if the transfer portal exists then as it does now? Yeah, I don't, I don't remember people really talking about just up and leaving and wanting to transfer all that regularly. Um, the only people who who would talk about wanting to transfer the ones that like clearly weren't playing and were so far out of the rotation or maybe a walk-on who thought he could get a scholarship elsewhere. I know um, the one instance that kind of comes to mind was um, Garrett Hudson. Garrett Hudson was a walk-on tight end for, for UNC, I think 2014 or the, the year we went to the Belk Bowl. I'm pretty sure he was a walk-on. And he was behind like Ebron and Jack Tab and Kendrick Singleton. And he walked onto the team. I think he was local from, from Raleigh. And he was like, you know, I think I could play elsewhere. He transfers down a level to Richmond, has a, a great career at Richmond, gets a training camp invite to the Washington football team. Um, so those were the only times we really heard about people wanting to transfer people that thought they could play at another level. And like you mentioned, the, the transfer portal wasn't really a thing um, for us. And I think from the 2014 team to the 2015 team, when we were so bad in 2014 and whatever bad is by, I guess, people's standard, I think we all knew that team was going to be a lot better when we were going into the 2015 season. It was, nobody was like, you know what, this, this isn't the place for me. It was more, you know, the, the coaching staff, they brought in coach Chizik and, when coach Chizik got brought in, it was, it was a moment for everybody to kind of look around and be like, you know, here's a coach who won a national championship and he obviously does not have to be here whatsoever with how much he's made and how much success he's had both on coaching and in his broadcasting career to, he didn't have to be there in, in our, in our program. So it was a time for us to kind of uh, self-reflect and be like, there must be something special here that we could do together if we all just collectively buy in. And I think that's why you did see the success that we had in 2015 um, where it was just, a, it was just a team coming together and it kind of ties back into the point we were making about basketball earlier, where it's like, it was guys that enjoyed playing with each other, guys that wanted to see each other have success where, you know, a player uh, player might have to take a lesser role on offense, but, have a bit have a bigger role on special teams or if you take a lesser role on offense somebody else is going to have a bigger role on offense and the team's going to have more success so for our teams like the transfer portal or transferring was never really um, something that was on the front of our mind except for the guys who wanted to try to try to improve their their own personal status yeah I've, i remember that that season so well but after the south carolina loss uh, I think a lot of us in the media were like, uh-oh, like we know how last year went. Are we looking at the same thing? And the following Monday press conference, I'll never forget, we talked to some of the players after Larry, 
and Elijah Hood, and I think it was Switzer and maybe somebody else were kind of off to themselves. And they were as, I mean, it was almost, it was, I mean, it was, it was almost an arrogance, a cockiness that not that they were worried about how things were going to be, that they understood that they let a, a prime opportunity slip away and that it was not going to happen moving forward. And instead of there being the bickering and the kind of, you know, up and down nature of the 2014 season, I mean, there was no doubt in their minds that they were about to go on a run. And I was kind of shocked by that. And then, of course, they were, they were 100% correct with 11, 11 in a row after that. Um, well, to close up, guys, we touched on this a little bit, but Isaiah, I want to start with you. Yes, as Taylor said, this is not the bowl game that North Carolina fans expected. This is probably not the bowl game that, that North Carolina players expected to begin this year. However, this team lost a, a heartbreaker at NC State. Uh, th let's not go back to that game. We'll save that one for the, the history books. But Carolina's 6-6. Six and six. And third straight bowl game, yes. But this is an opportunity to, to make sure they have a third straight winning season. How important is this bowl game for this program moving forward and setting the tone in the offseason uh, to, to brighter days ahead? Very important. I mean, you don't want to have a losing record. I, I think it's add on to the fact that the state game did end how it ended and the fact that you're playing um, South Carolina. I think that this is one of those games that really will improve. It won't make the season look as bad as a 76 looks better than a 6 and 7. I agree with that, and I think if Carolina can go, you know me, Greg. I'm the eternal optimist in the off season, the internal, the eternal uh, pessimist during it. I mean, I was the one in the stands at the state game with two minutes left after the field goal, going, "This game's not over. Uh, Y'all need to calm down." And everybody that was around me saying, "Y'all need to relax." Um, I was like, "Marcus Page just hit the three, but it's not over." Right. You know, and uh, yeah, I still can't believe it. it's almost. Do you even get mad at that game if you're a Carolina football fan? Because it was just like, it's ridiculous that it happens. I, I don't know. But I think seven and six and you smack South Carolina, um, beat them however you want to. And Sam Howell goes out the way he came in. I mean, I think we're here in, in a few months uh, during spring ball and all that having similar conversations that we had earlier of just minus the, maybe minus the, the highlight Heisman hopeful quarterback. So I, I think it's huge. They lose to South Carolina. Now it's a different ball game. Mac Brown's going to have to do Mac Brown things in the off season if they lose to South Carolina. And, and that's, you know, selling ice to the guys that live at the polls and, and things like that. So I, I think it's a giant game dare I say, must win um, for this Carolina program to keep going in the direction that Mac, Mac sells optimism. Well, you got to have some optimism to sell it. And I think winning South Carolina helps that. What do you think, Vip? Yeah, I've never been somebody who is really big on thinking that one bowl game can kind of help you out for next year. I kind of think it, think of it independently and almost like uh just the final part of your season. And then once you go back in February, everything kind of resets. 
Um, but I do think now that a win here against South Carolina would be a, a nice jump start into the, the future of the program. Um, I'm not, I'm not slapping the, the must win label that, that you were uh, almost, almost going to do, but I do think that this would be a, a big win for Carolina, especially with, I, th- I just think they're a more talented team than South Carolina. I've, I've said that a couple of times this year, and it's kind of it's kind of bit me thinking that this Carolina team is a lot more talented than than their record shows. Um, and then I just one more point I wanted to make before I guess before we start wrapping it up. Like everybody's mentioned that this is in the bowl game that everybody kind of wanted before the year. You know, I get I get one trip a year to go to a bowl game. And I could throw a rock and hit Bank of America Stadium right now. So, you know, I, I don't get the destination. So just just think of me. Just think of me. Uh, folks, if you're <laughs> listening, right there's your Airbnb uh, for the bowl game. I, oh, par- I, I got the inside Carolina rates, just like Johnny T-shirt. Uh, <laughs> so uh, don't, don't put that address out there. There will be people beating on that door. Yeah, I, and, and as far as bowl games, if you're not in the big ones, where would you rather be than in Charlotte if you're a Carolina football fan? Would you rather be at the Pinstripe Bowl? Um, would you rather be Fenway and all those? Where would you rather be, Vip, if you couldn't be right across the street? No, I was going to say the Pinstripe Bowl, It's it sounds good in theory. As somebody who's from New York and has been to a Pinstripe Bowl, you're like, oh, wow, this is awesome. Base uh, football game in Yankee Stadium. And then you get out there on game day and it's 20 degrees and it's freezing cold. The wind is smacking you in the face as you're taking the, uh, the transportation to, to the Bronx. And then you're like, this, this isn't for me. This is a one-time thing, maybe even a, a leave by the, by the uh, second half. Um, so I think it's, it's a, a good idea in theory. But Charlotte, if you're not going to be somewhere in Florida, I would say Charlotte is, is right up there. Yeah, Certainly better than El Paso. Oh yeah, <laughs> and also and easier I mean, to get to. Petco Park for the Holiday Bowl is not a bad place. That's a great no. place to see a baseball game. So that, but that that you know, a couple hundred of those folks that go out there will have fun in San Diego. But yeah, it's uh, it kind of is what it is at this point. I think it's important Carolina wins against South Carolina. I think it's important that Carolina builds on the basketball side against Elon and Furman as they get ready to get into UCLA and then God, the ACC season ramps up pretty quickly after that. Um, but this is on the beat. I, I keep stopping myself from saying on the beat live, but uh, didn't work out tonight, but Isaiah Lucas brought it. Gregory Barnes always brings it and Taylor Vipolis joined in um, from the inside Carolina headquarters at the belt bowl, or excuse me, at the Mayo bowl, we will all party at Taylor's place. Come to Continental Tire Bowl. Wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really? That was a great one, though. That when they played West Virginia there, and all those West Virginia people came, that was that was pretty fun time. But I digress, boys. It's been fun. Uh, we shall talk again next week on On the Beat Inside Carolina Podcast. Johnny T Shirt, Johnny T Shirt.com. Appreciate it, fellas. Okay, picture this: it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with h track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. 
Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.